All right, please take your Bibles and turn to Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. Uh, this is such, uh, one of the most, Revelation is a tough book, you know. Most people won't even study it and they're afraid of it. We talked about this in a men's retreat we just had, not with Blessed Hope, the church here, but we did a men's retreat last week. Uh, Chad and I and Tommy flew uh, to Connecticut, drove into Massachusetts, and, and we got together with just over 40 brothers uh, from all over the place because last time we were out and while well, we were in New York, they asked us to come back and to do a men's retreat there if we could because there's so many people from different Blessed Hope uh, live stream uh, connections and that watch our podcast and, and uh, uh, groups and so forth and from different places. They're all meeting each other and a lot of these guys are starving for fellowship. Some of them are in fellowships and some of them are having such a hard time finding fellowship and they were saying, man, can't we get together and have a men's retreat? You know, because they follow a lot of the word that we preach. You know, they, they love Jesus and so many like-minded brothers. So we went there and uh, we, we had a great time. We went through all seven churches. And you could check out those teachings online. So the seven churches, almost 14 hours long. So that's almost an average of uh, two hours a church <laughs> when, I think, when you think about it. But it was pretty awesome. Uh, and I think, uh, yeah, Sar uh, Ephesus, the church of the loveless who left their first love, that got cut off like halfway through or so. So uh, it would have been probably two-hour teachings on average. But they loved it. I, I, man, I was about ready to get done at one point, and one brother was like, no, go for six hours, you know, because they're starving for the word. And they're traveling from all kinds. Of, I think it was like people represented from like 10 different states and the Bahamas and so forth. So when you wake up in the morning and say, ah, oh, you know what? <clears throat> you know, I don't want to drive to church. It's, it's 20 minutes away. Come on, guys. Man, get in fellowship. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Amen. And we all need to be in fellowship, but we're all supposed to be encouraging each other, amen? Especially in your, your leadership, you shouldn't just come once in a blue moon. People should be seeing you all the time. That's why you're in leadership, amen? So we all need to make sure that we're serious about being in fellowship, because that's how we encourage each other. You can't encourage each other if you're not amongst each other, amen? And even our live streamers who can't find a church, oftentimes they're online encouraging each other. I was blown away because I was meeting a lot of people for the first time. Most people for the first time. And a lot of these people were seeing each other the first time, but they knew each other from their online presence. And they're like, oh, we're close, man. We just have never seen each other before. And it was so beautiful. So praise God for what you guys are doing online, encouraging one another. And if, you're, and if you love the Lord and, and you're in the Word and, and you're, you're with us, you know, and you're watching, go ahead and get online and get to know some brothers and sisters there and encourage them. A lot of these brothers want to go to the men's retreat that we're having uh, coming up, what is it, in May or June? Early June? June 2nd? So uh, a lot of those brothers should be there. So I just want to encourage you guys, man, be in fellowship. Because it was kind of convicting. It was like, man, some people are traveling from the Bahamas to be at this men's retreat, you know? And being in fellowship with their brothers and sisters. And sometimes, you know, as Keith Green said, Jesus rose from the dead and you can't even get out of bed, you know? <laughs> well, it's not that I can't get out of bed. I just prefer hunting or watching the football game or skiing or something to Jesus. No, put Jesus first. I'm not saying once in a while that you can't have vacation or what have you. That's between you and the Lord. But the Bible warns you not to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, this is a whole other message I'm preaching right now. So I better get back to the word because that's not the best I set out to preach. Just hit my heart. <laughs> Revelation chapter 21. Revelation chapter 21. We are in verse 7. And it is such a glorious verse because, man, we are entering into, in Revelation 21, and 22, the description of the new heaven and the new earth. And it is so glorious. It's going to blow your mind. I can guarantee you it's going to blow your mind. 
how beautiful it is and how it fits with the Old Testament scriptures and the picture that God gives and how it brings the consummation of the ages and what God brought them in Eden comes back in Genesis 22 and the reverse has been fully, uh, uh, the curse has been fully reversed in Jesus, amen? And the new heaven, the new earth, it's gonna, I'm excited about it. But I'm really excited about verse seven. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And that's after he just describes the new heavens and the new earth where there's, he'll wipe away every tear. There's no more death or mourning and the first things have passed away and behold, they make all things new. And then in verse seven, he's the Alpha and the Omega or verse six, Alpha and the Omega and he offers salvation to those who thirst, thirst without cost. And then in verse seven, he says, he who overcomes will what? Inherit, inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. And we've talked a little bit about that already. We've, I think we had a New Year's message in that verse. But I want to talk about being an overcomer. And I have a lot to say about this that will not fit in this message. Because overcoming is a huge theme within the book Revelation. Believers are described different ways through, through Scripture. They're described as believers over and over again. They're, they're described in Revelation 7, uh, 17, I should say, verse 14, as those who are chosen, who are called, who are chosen, and who are faithful. They're described throughout the book of Revelation as overcomers. The Greek word, the, the noun would be Nike, but the Greek verb they're used is, is uh, nakao, from the word Nike. And it was a nakao meant to have victory, to prevail overcome. And believers in the Gospel of John are sometimes called followers, you know. A lot of different descriptions of believers that more than suggest far more than mental ascent, but actually following Jesus and being an overcomer. And in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, this is what we went through last week when we were in Massachusetts. And they've picked that place because it was a location where a lot of people come from different states. Uh, when we went there, we went through the seven churches and each church has given promise to the overcomers. And we'll actually go through those, not today, but when we, because now that we're at the end, man, we're wrapping it up, and he's emphasizing it's those promises to the overcomers that are being fulfilled. And these promises are great promises. They're also promise slash warnings. He that overcomes, I will not blot his name out of the book of life, but I will confess it before my father and his angels. You know, and they walk with me in white raiment and so forth. There's just beautiful uh, promises, uh, you know, but here... The overcomer, inherit, overcomer inherits all these things. This is your, your destiny in Christ. Our lives are like vapors. People sit around for hours and hours and days and weeks and months of time watching home improvement shows and their dream house. And it's like, man, I'm not saying you can't watch any of that stuff a bit. But man, this is our dream house and it's for eternity and it's already, the, pay, the price has already been paid. And we should get excited about that. Amen. I'm excited about that house. It doesn't matter where you live after you live there for a few months. It's just where you live. I mean, I'm, I'm being serious, you know. Oh, this house, man, I was like yard. So I don't even care about the house. If I have enough place to sleep and move around a little bit, as long as I got a yard, you know. You know? But, and then the yard's never sufficient because I always want to go hiking. Where there's really God's yard. But that's nothing compared to the new heavens and the new earth and where we're moving, guys. And get excited about that. We are God's house, Amen. We're the temple of the living God. And the bride of Christ that comes down from heaven from God is called the bride because the main thing, the pearls, the stones, not that there's not literal pearls and stones and gold, but we're his jewels that he snatches up. And we're going to get into that later. But we want to make sure that we are overcomers. 
And my heart breaks today because there are so many people in the church that are not overcomers. They don't have victory over the world and the flesh and the devil. Those are our three great enemies. The world system, uh, the flesh, and the devil, you know. The Bible talks about those like in 2 Timothy who had been taken captive by the devil again, you know. The Bible talks about how, uh, it, it, you know, you know, be gentle with them that God may give them repentance to be, deliver them from the captivity of, of the devil. The Bible talks about how the widows who, husbands that died young and they were younger, uh, that if they were young, not to put them on the church welfare list to help out the older widows that had no help, but, you know, to have, uh, have them marry and have children because if they're young and, and vigorous and they have energy still and they have, all, they have money coming to them and they don't have working, they can become idle, busybodies, gossips, going house to house and break their first pledge and go aside after Satan. Ooh, wow. Receiving condemnation, he says. That's, that's heavy. But we could also go back to the things of the flesh. Amen? The Bible warns that. It says don't use the flesh, as a, your freedom as a pretext for the flesh. The scriptures, Peter warns about going back to the vomit and going back to the, after you've, like a dog that's been freed of his vomit, going back and the pig that's been washed in the mire going back and again. And the scriptures warn about going back to the world. And it calls believers who do that, the, world, the evil world system, and, and accepting the world's values again. Remember James 4.4, 4, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whoever makes himself a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And we know Demas, who's listed as one of Paul's faithful servants in the epistles. Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.10 that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And you don't want to love this present world system, this evil world system. Because the Bible says, love not the world in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. For all that is of the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And the world is passing away, and the lust thereof. But it's he that does the will of God who abides forever. So it's important. And I want to talk about victory over the world, flesh, and the devil. And mainly victory over the old man, over the old self. That old self that we used to be before we came to Christ, B.C., who we were when we were on the throne before we surrendered to Christ, put our faith in him and put him on the throne. Because there's that temptation and the enemy's knocking on your heart trying to get you to go back to that old life, go back to the old man. But we're called to be overcomers. I want to look a little bit at the book of Romans because in Romans, Paul warns in chapter 12 of Romans, overcome, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Obviously, believers can be overcome and fail to be overcomers. Obviously, that's true because he wouldn't warn, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen? Amen. And we're going to talk about what it means to be an overcomer uh, in, in, in subsequent message to this because this to me is so critical and the church needs this. We need this. Everyone needs this. And uh, 1 John chapter 4, you know, uh, we overcome through our faith, trusting Jesus. Amen? And that faith is stretched out through life, and that makes you an overcomer to the end. Revelation 12, 11 defines the overcomer. Of, it says, and they overcame him, that is Satan. They overcame him how? By the blood of the Lamb. That's, that's the grounds of our victory, what Jesus did on the cross for us. Can't even talk about being overcomers unless you realize, you're, unless you're saved, amen? amen? Through what Jesus did on the cross. And he's the one that gives us the victory. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, their, conf their confession of faith in Christ. 
and they loved not their lives unto death, meaning they continued to hold to the faith in what Jesus did on the cross in his resurrection to death. It's not really a separate thing. It all goes back to what Jesus did for us. It's just faith stretched out, appropriating his victory and trusting him. Amen? So in Romans, when Paul says, don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good, he tells them, he shows them how to be overcomers. And I love what he says in Romans 8, that we're more than conquerors, more than overcomers. The word nakao is used in there, the Greek there as, as well. Uh, through Christ who loved us, amen? It's through Christ that we get the victory. But there's many people who recognize Jesus died for their sins in here. But it doesn't travel like eight inches or so. Or if you're big, Jim, like 12 inches or maybe 14, you know, to the heart, you know. Not that it didn't travel to your heart, Jimmy. You're, Jesus is obviously in your heart, but I'm using it as an illustration. Uh, so we want to make sure we're embracing what Jesus did for our sins. Amen. Now, go to Romans chapter 6. Uh, last Wednesday, I encourage you to hear the message if you didn't. I was in uh, dealing with how God gives the new heart. And I briefly went into Romans chapter 6. And I briefly dealt with uh, the new heart that we have in Christ there. And I went through Romans, I went through a lot of passages showing that even though the Bible says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? That that's speaking of the old man. That's speaking of the old heart before we're Christians. That God gives us a new heart. Amen? He gives us new desires and everything else. But that doesn't mean there's not a battle with the old heart wanting to come back. The old thoughts, the old way of life. Every Christian can identify with that battle. And I spoke briefly about crucifying the old man. And you know what? I was a little like, man, I want to focus on that. I want to focus on that and being an overcomer. And how do you crucify the old man? How do you crucify the old man? Effectively, so he doesn't rise up in your life and you allow sin to reign over you. So in Romans chapter 6, I thought, you know, I'm going to spend a little more time on that because I just went through it pretty quickly. Uh, I gave illustration with my wife and how I believe the Lord opened my eyes in an even deeper way uh, as to what his, his, his word is saying there. And I'll probably get into that for a minute too because I thought, man, and I talked about that being a key to victory. I thought, man, I was talking about the new heart a lot and that was so important. I wanted to really stress what it means to have that new heart. But I thought, man, I want to stress a little bit more means to crucify that old man. So, and the overcoming Christ. So Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Paul talks about our victory, how we can overcome the old man. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? That's a rhetorical question. He answers it, even though it's rhetorical. Verse 2, may it never be. Uh, I think the King James says, God forbid. But the, the man, the, our manuscripts don't have, is God forbid. Sounds good, but may it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Now, Paul is concerned here because for the first five chapters of Romans, he's labored to emphasize how we have been saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. That we're not saved by our works. He gives different pictures of salvation over and over again. And how Abraham was not justified by works, right? He was justified by faith alone, apart from works. And his faith was credited to him, counted as righteousness. Amen? So right now, you're, if you're trusting Jesus, you're saved and your faith is credited, like, you know, counted by God as righteousness because of what Christ did on the cross. And it's a beautiful, wonderful 
teaching. And then, but Paul's concerned that people will say, oh yeah, praise God, I'm saved by grace. And they'll become not wife abusers, but maybe that too, but grace abusers. Oh, I'm saved by grace. Jesus died for my sins. I'm set free from the, from the penalty of sin. I'm free to do whatever I want. Paul's like, hold your horses. That's not what we're talking. You're, you're set free not only from uh, the, the penalty of sin, but you've been set free from the power of sin. Okay? You don't need to be under the power of sin and death and Satan anymore. And you're expected now to walk in newness of life and identify with Christ's death and his resurrection. So Paul is real concerned to correct that error because Paul said it's falsely being reported earlier in this book um, about me, you know, that we're basically teaching that since we're saved by grace, you can just live a life of sin. And Paul, Paul says that earlier that he's being, he's being blasphemously reported to teach that. Now there's people blasphemously reporting that he teaches that and there are people are following that because, uh, you know, many are teaching today that once you've been set free in Christ that, wow, there's nothing you could do. You can just go back to your old life and you'll be fine. It's a wicked, wicked perversion. And Paul's correcting that. So look at verses 3 through 5. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in what? Newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So when you first put your trust in Jesus, long before you were ever water baptized, the Bible says that you were baptized by the Holy Spirit into Christ. You can read 1 Corinthians 12. And Jesus baptizes with fire. And we're baptized, it says in 1 Corinthians 12, by the Spirit into Christ. And... Anybody who comes to Christ, the moment you put your faith in him, you're baptized into Christ, right? You're, you're, you're out of Adam, the old man, and in, we don't have time to get into the, explore chapter 5, but in chapter 5, Paul talks about how in Adam all die, and in Christ all are made alive. Is that teaching universalism? No. It's teaching that in Adam we all die. But guess what? But in the, at Christ, we're all made alive, and some will take that passage and universalists that say, oh, everybody's going to be saved. And, and they'll take 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul talks about the first and last Adam, the first and the second Adam, and that we're all made alive. And Well, no. <laughs> when, when Adam sinned, he represented us, right? He represented humanity. Now, we didn't sin, Adam sinned, but we inherit his nature. But might as well have been us, because if you were there, right? Joe Buck was there, you know? Luke was there. Uh, Joe Schimmel was there. We would have blown it. But he was the first atom bomb. Just destroyed the human family. And we inherit his sinful nature. However, guess what? The Bible says, this saying shall not be used, Ezekiel says this in chapter 18, that the children's teeth are set on edge because of the sins of their parents. Because some people were saying that God punishes you based on the sin of your parents. And that's not what tr what's true. Adam represents us in humanity. We do, re we do receive a sinful nature as children, but we're not condemned. It's a false teaching that the Roman Catholic Church taught for centuries that when a, if a baby dies, he hasn't been baptized by the Roman Catholic Church, he's damned. Little girl, little baby is damned because of their rebellion against God. No, they haven't committed sin because Paul in Romans 7 makes it clear that he was alive apart from the law. Amen. Amen. 
Israel here is quoting my verses before I even get to him right now. Amen, bro. He's, he, we're, 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 he was alive apart from the law when he was a little baby. Then when he became conscientious of the law and then he was breaking God's law, and that happens whether you hear God's word or not, you, you become convicted by God's law in your heart because God's written his law through our conscience, as Paul says in Romans 2, in our hearts. And we became aware of the law, thou shalt not covet. Then he said he died. So now he's being punished for his sin. Do you understand that? So we do believe in a sense in original sin, but not the way the Catholics do. We believe that we inherit a fallen nature. Just do nursery for a little while if you doubt that, okay? And you'll start to realize, wow, you know? And the kids that are the greatest angels in time, you know, their flaws will be seen as well. The Bible says we come forth from, they come forth from the womb speaking lies, right? So, so, we, so we appropriate Adam's penalty for ourselves when we sin. But we're born in a, with a sinful nature. And so the all that die are ultimately all those who appropriate what Adam's done, the same condemnation through their own rebellion to God. You're not born condemned. And just like all shall be made alive, those who are made alive are those who appropriate what Jesus did on the cross, right? Through his death and his victory over death through his resurrection when they have faith. When they put their trust in Jesus, amen? amen. We didn't automatically end up condemned forever. We sin, then we're condemned. Yes. We're in Adam, but we're not. Paul said he was alive until he appropriated death through rebellion. We, are, we come to be in Christ and shift from outside of Adam into Christ when we appropriate salvation through faith in what Jesus did. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, <clears throat> he's talking about coming out of the old Adam and the Holy Spirit takes us out of Adam and baptizes and puts us in Christ the moment we turn put faith in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Then we go and have a water baptism, which becomes a picture of that. Amen. Amen. A beautiful, powerful picture of our salvation. Uh, you know, and we experience our, we already have salvation. We're already experiencing salvation, but we continue to experience our salvation. You're experiencing your salvation as you grow in Christ. The Bible says we have been saved, we're being saved, and he that endures the end will be saved, amen? And even when you're baptized, you're already saved. But it also says, now baptism does save us. Not the washing of the dirt off by the water, Peter says, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, which is faith, which you've already had before your baptism. You've already been saved, right? But it's a picture of the salvation that you've, you've had and that you're still experiencing. When did the Israelites, the Hebrews, get saved? When they came out of the Red Sea or prior to that? Prior to that. When the Passover lambs were put to death. And even when the Passover lambs were put to death, they still weren't saved. The firstborn, what did they have to do with the blood? They had to apply it to the doorpost. It was in the form of a cross, amen. Passover lamb, firstborn uh, of the lambs, a male, full-grown, without blemish. Picture of Jesus. And they were set free. They were leaving Egypt. They were already set free prior to their baptism in the sea of Moses. Isn't that cool? They were already set free by the blood of the lamb, but their baptism was an experience of the salvation that they had already had. In fact, it's interesting in, in, First Corinthians, in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, after they got through the Red Sea, they sang a song. They're going through the Red Sea. The waters opened up. Can you imagine that, man? big walls on both sides and your back's to the wall and it opens up and the Egyptian army is coming. What happened? God's plan is it being aborted? No. You're walking by on dry ground. The wind's howling and you're just walking through that, man. 
And then you get to the other side, it's like, but the Romans or the uh, Egyptians, they've got the chariots, they've got the horses, they got, we're, water comes crashing down, just destroys them, man. And you're back there and you're watching all these thousands, perhaps, of soldiers, their corpses floating in the water. That's like the old man. That's your old slave master. That's, that's when you were enslaved, you, you know, you've you got victory over Satan there and the, the Egyptian demon gods and all that. And they sang a new song, the song of Moses. And listen to what it says in part. It's, it's a long song, but it literally, literally says in Exodus chapter 15, verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. So they continue to experience his deliverance. His salvation means deliverance. He continues to deliver us. Now, they needed to consider the reality that they had been set free from the demonic powers, from Pharaoh, from the, their Egyptian slave masters who were chasing them down. We have been set free from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And just as they were able to sing that new song, as those corpses were floating on the water, we're given a new song. In fact, in the book of Revelation, in chapter 15, the overcomers, it says, who had victory over the beast. The Greek word for victory there is, guess what, nakao again, okay? They got the victory uh, over the beast. They sing the song of Moses, and then it says, and they're on the sea of glass now, in the, the crystal sea in heaven. It says they sing the song of Moses, a new song, and, and the new song, the song of the Lamb. Because what happened there, that was a picture of baptism and everything else. But the key was, and it was critical, that they didn't go back to Egypt. They were set free. And they needed to just keep marching to the promised land. Amen? But Satan could whisper in their ears and say, hey, even though they're set free. And that's the point. Is a lot of times people say, oh, we're not set free. Romans 7, man, we're just defeated. You know, no, that's not what Romans 7 is teaching. And God wants to know is that we have the victory, okay? All we have to do is just continue to look to Christ in faith. Continue to follow him. You have the victory. But what happened with a lot of the, the, the Hebrews that were delivered? They were thinking, now it says Moses could have thought of the freedom that he, or, or, or what he had before, but he didn't, man. He considered Christ and his reproach and keeps his eyes on Jesus, right? That's what a lot of these guys did. They were thinking about Egypt, the onions, and the, the leeks and, you know, all these things. And you look at what they're thinking about. I think it's interesting. All the things that they think about that they miss, the garlic and the onions, the leeks and all that, all these things grow under the ground or on the ground. Kind of interesting. Nothing, I love onions. I love garlic. You, you, you hug me after a good meal, you might notice that, you know. So, <laughs> but guess what? When they went in the promised land, grapes or pomegranates, grapes, all that, all grow in the, in the heavenly, in the up, up, up above. They're going to the promised land, Amen. And God, all meat and all food is clean to us. And they could eat even then garlic and onions. I think it's an interesting picture. But it's really crazy because when you think about it, they could go back, and a lot of them wanted to go back. And a lot of them did go back in their hearts. And they got involved in idolatry and all, in sexual sin. Even at the base of Mount Sinai, they made a golden calf. In chapter 32, 32, verse 32 and 33, Lord blotted names out of the book of life there. And, you know, it's crazy because we need to just keep our eyes on Jesus and just continue to follow him. And you're safe. Don't want to go back to the corpses. Don't want to go back to death. You don't want to go back to the old man. And it's interesting because uh, in verse 6 of Romans, 
because we stopped at verse 5 in, in chapter 6, verse 5, verse 6 now. Knowing this, this is something you ought to know if you want to have victory. How many want to have victory over the flesh? World of the flesh and the devil. Amen. Knowing this, okay, knowing this, that our old man or our old self, and King James, I think, has man there, old man. It's anthropos, actually. So anthropos is anthropology. Anthropos is the, the Greek word from which we get the word man. So old self or man will both work. Knowing this, that the old man or self was crucified with him in order that your body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves, of, slaves to sin. Now think about that. Just like the Red, the Red Sea, man. Those bodies are all that's our old life, man. Death. We've got new life. And now Paul's saying in Christ, through his death and his resurrection, and identification through faith in what Jesus did for us, we are to know this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Interesting. In order that our body of sin would be done away with. In Romans 7, Paul goes into when he was little, before the law came, and then he died, and now he's under the Jewish law. He's not a Christian yet. He's saying he's trying to keep the law, and it's his flesh against the law, and he's totally defeated, right? And he's concerned about this old man. He can't get victory over him, and he calls it here this, this body of sin, okay? Wretched man that I am, Paul says in Romans 7, who will save me from this body of death? He's pleading to get rid of it. And it's Jesus, wretched man that I am, but who will save me? They says, thanks be the Lord Jesus. Well, guess what? Here, we've been set free from that body of sin. Okay? Verse 7, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is what? Is no longer master over him. Amen? And he goes on to say in the same way, death shall not be your master. Don't let it be your master. And in Romans 7, sin is a master over Paul before he cries out to Jesus because the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. And, he, and it leads him to the point of crying out, Jesus, who will save me, wretched man that I am? Thanks be to God for Jesus, you know. He gives him praise and glory. But he's enslaved. The things I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. Who will save me from this dilemma? Well, guess what? He, we're set free, just as death is no longer master over Jesus, verse 9, verse 10, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to Christ, alive to God in Christ Jesus, amen? Therefore, do not what? Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. So that's a command to apply the beautiful theological teaching Paul is giving us here. And do not go on, verse 13, presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Verse four, for sin shall what? Not be master over you. You are not under law, but under grace. Now it's important to get this. It's, it's not that complicated. If you think it through, we can all get it. We've been set free from the penalty of sin. Amen. But through what Jesus did on the cross, we trust Jesus. Man, the moment you're, you trust him, you're safe from your sins. Praise God. They've all been paid for. Amen. And then, but we're also saved from the power of sin through the cross. And a lot of times people only emphasize that we're saved from the penalty of sin. 
And they go, look at Romans, we're saved by grace. And Romans has a lot to do with being also saved from the power of sin. Because he, Paul's saying, first five chapters, yeah, you're saved by grace, praise God. Don't abuse grace now. Now you're saved by grace, don't abuse it. But now get victory over sin because what Jesus did on the cross wasn't just to give you victory over the penalty of sin through his victory and what he did, it's all his victory, but also he died on the cross to give you victory over the power of sin in your life. That old man. In fact, go to 1 Corinthians. We'll be back to Romans in a little bit. 1 Corinthians, just turn to your right. Hang a right and hit chapter 9. And Paul talks about contending with the power of sin in his life and not letting it be victorious over him. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul says, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run? But only one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may win. Okay? We're in the race of salvation. Okay? We're, we're headed to the promised land. Not from Egypt, but from the world. Egypt's a picture of the world system. Pharaoh's a picture of Satan. The soldier's a picture of the demonic world that wants to bring us back into captivity. But man, we have a decisive victory in what Jesus did on the cross. And we just need to keep going forward. Amen? Keep looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Actually, it says author and finisher of faith in the Greek. But it's interesting. He says here, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control. He uses the Olympics of those days that they, they had a, the Olympics group back all of the gray with the Greek culture, which they're, got the, they're ruled by the Romans, but they've been influenced heavily by the Greek culture because the Romans took over from the Greeks. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it huh, to receive a perishable wreath. But we what? An imperishable. The world, man, those gold medals, that's gonna be, they're all going to melt when everything's melted in fervent heat. Everything's going to pass away. It's like all these gold medals, those aren't eternal. But we are going to have the imperishable wreath. James chapter 1, verse 12. It says, you know, blessed is the one who endures temptation. For after he has been proven, he will receive the crown of life. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, you know, the church of Smyrna. John says, or Jesus says, it's Jesus' letter to the church of Smyrna there, which is one of the letters that Chad had that church when we did the seven churches. He says to them, be faithful in death. He says, fear not. You know, the devil going to cast them into prison. You shall have tribulation 10 days. But he says, fear not. You know, he says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He that overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. In Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, the second death, it says, is the lake of fire. So the overcomer is the one who's faithful to end death. That means you just continue to trust Jesus until you die. That's such an emphasis in New Testament times in the in the word and the early church fathers and it's been lost because people are not looking at the fact that sin isn't supposed to reign over you you're supposed to continue to trust jesus and here paul says we get this imperishable crown okay and then in verse six paul says therefore because he wants that imperishable crown look what he says verse 26 therefore i run in such a way as not without aim i'm focused on jesus I box in such a way as not beating the air. I mean, I'm not playing around here. I'm serious, man. I box for real. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's a spiritual war that we're in, amen? Verse 27. But I what? I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, 
I myself will not be what? Be cast away, away, disqualified, depending on your translation. So he continues to, uh, you know, run in such a way that is not without aim. Box in such a way is not without, you know, aim as well. And he says, I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. In Romans 7, before Paul gets victory, he has no victory. Things I don't want to do, I do. Things I do, do want to do, I don't. Who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus. Then when Jesus sets him free, then when Jesus sets him free, he does not have to walk. In, he's not going to, you know, because without Christ, you're powerless to overcome sin. You know that, right? Amen. And some of you are like, man, how come I'm just totally defeated by sin over and over again? Have you truly surrendered to Jesus? Have you, have, or have you gone back to Egypt, gone back to the vomit? after having gotten rid of that poison, gone back to the mud after having been washed, you need to make sure after you've come to Jesus, because guess what? That, 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 that flesh, that, 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 that sinful nature, okay? And they don't, you know, the NIV translates the flesh, sinful nature, sark, sinful nature. Sometimes that seems to work. It doesn't always seem to work, though, because every time you see the word sarks, it's not the sinful nature. But they're trying to help people get around the idea that before we were saved, we had that sinful Adamic nature. And now we know we've been set free from that, that wicked, perverse, fallen nature because the Bible says that our old man was put to death on the cross with Christ. It all happened on the cross, not just the penalty of sin. Understand this. The penalty of sin was dealt with on the cross, okay? That death blow to the penalty of sin, Jesus accepted death in our stead, amen? But guess what? There was also a death blow rendered to the power of sin. And it's imperative that we understand this so we can understand the victory that we have because most Christians don't understand this. Most Christians, by far, don't understand the victory that is available to us over the power of sin through the cross. And that that's Pauline and biblical, Jesus inspired Paul, it's, it's the biblical theology. In fact, I discipline my body and make it my slave. Now the body itself isn't evil, okay? Your body was made by God, amen? But just as Paul says, use the members of your body, and we just read, and we'll read again, or read a little bit later in Romans 6, uh, don't, you, uh, render you know, the instruments of your body as instruments of righteousness to God as your master. And he says, don't give the instruments of your body over to sin. Okay, the flesh, the power of the flesh. So your physical body in of itself, while there is, you know, the sin principle in our DNA, you know, where we have a proclivity towards sin, there's far more to it than that, okay? We have the power of Christ, we're able to overcome even those proclivities because of the power of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God's Word, and the spiritual principalities and powers that would har- use, use our bodies as harbingers to incite and encourage uh, the sinful nature. Okay? Now, it's interesting. He beats his body down. He doesn't let that old man rise up in him. Do you understand that? Yes. And that's, do you beat your body down? Yes. When you want to crave and do evil things, do you say, no, I deny myself. When you come to Christ, what do you do? When you come to Christ, what do you do? What does it say in Luke 9, 23? You surrender to Christ. It says what? He said, if anyone will follow me, right? Let him what? Deny himself. Deny his flesh. Take up his cross and follow Christ. I mean, you're basically saying, hey, guess what? I'm recognizing what Jesus did for me on the cross, and I'm denying the flesh. I'm denying my old man. And they wouldn't fully understand what he meant until a little bit later after he died for their sins. 
But then Paul makes an incredible statement. Chapter 10, verse 1. Remember, there's no chapter breaks. It wasn't like the Corinthians when they first got this letter say, oh, chapter 10 now. The new part of his letter. No. It goes right from 9, beating his body down, to a warning. For, it's a conjunction, connecting to him beating his body down, so after he preaches to others, he himself would not become disqualified. Ah, just for a moment. That Greek word translated disqualified, the way Paul uses it, it's very, very, very ugly. Okay? It has to do with being damned. It has to do with reject, being rejected. Okay? And I've done whole studies on just the word studies on the dokimas. And I'll just use the example that he uses in 2 Corinthians 13.5 to the same people. Where he says to them in chapter 12 that I'm going to come with rods because some of you haven't yet repented and turned from your fornication or your sensuality and all their junk. And then he says in chapter 13, a few verses later, verse 5, examine yourselves to see if Christ is in you. Christ is in you unless you are a docomas. Are you following this? This is the word of God, man. Paul says, I beat my body down, so after I preach to others, I myself would not become what? A, you want to learn a Greek word? Say it, just say adakamas. Adakamas. He doesn't want to be rejected. And by the way, when you bought things, if they were destroyed, you know, or, or good, they were, or gold that, was, that went through the fire, it was considered dakamas, not adakamas. The letter A or the alpha, the A or the A would be, you know, a nullifier, like atheism, ag, 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 agnosticism, no knowledge. Guess what? Adakamas means you don't pass the test. You're disqualified as it's translated here, which is a good translation, or rejected. So when Paul describes what it means to be adakamas to them in the next letter, Christ is in you unless you test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Christ is in you unless you are what? Adakamas. He doesn't want to become a rebel against the Lord. He doesn't want to be without Christ. He wants to persevere. And verse 10, chapter 10, verse 1 says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all baptized through the sea. What's he talking about? When they were set free by the Passover blood. When they were baptized in the Sea of Moses. He's talking about the, their experience of salvation in the Old Testament. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Verse 3, and all ate the same spiritual food, the manna, which is a picture of who? Jesus, the bread from heaven. And all drank the same spiritual drink. Remember when they were drinking from the rock? And he spells it out to us what that meant. And they all drank from the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was who? Christ. Christ. They didn't just have the Passover lamb and the baptism, but they had the manna from heaven. They had the water, which is a picture of the Spirit. And it was from Christ they were receiving this. They had great salvation. Verse 5, though. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Paul is saying he beats his body down so this doesn't happen to him. Because we have a greater salvation than they have by far. Amen? We have no excuse. They didn't have any excuse either, but we have no excuse to turn back. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Ooh, man, check that out. Draw a line from the corpses there and say what happened when they went back, wanted to go back to Egypt. To us, don't go back, man. Satan's going to whisper in your ears. He's going to say, hey, take, get up, take, let that old man reign in you. You know, let him rule in your members and do the old things you did and be part of the world. Like Demas, who left the faith, forsook Paul, 
having loved this present world. He's saying, don't do that. They crave evil things. Guess what? The flesh, the sinful nature, that aspect of our humanity that's fallen and in rebellion to God that was put to death on the cross can be risen back up if you allow it. And Paul says, I beat my body down. So after I preached to others, I myself would not be a docomas, cast away, rejected, disqualified. And this happened in the Old Testament as a picture, and that's what Paul's using in Romans 6 as well. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's saying, that's a picture of salvation. But he's encouraging us to continue to walk in your salvation. In Romans, he's saying, go forward. Don't go back. In 1 Corinthians, he's emphasizing a lot of why you don't go back. And then he says, verse 7, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in one day, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, by the serpents. Nor grumble, don't be a whiner, don't be a complainer. Look to Jesus and be thankful for what he's done for you. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things, he tells us this a second time to get it through our heads, happened to them as an example. And they were written down for our instruction upon whom the end, ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, do you think you stand in Jesus? I hope you do. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not what? They does not fall. Yes, the Bible teaches you can fall away. Verse 13, no temptation. I love this. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who, with, who will not allow you to be what? Tempted beyond what you are. Wow. Uh, beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Man, he's, he's faithful. There's no temptation that's overtaking you where you can say the devil made me do it. Oh, my flesh was too strong. Oh, the world was too tempting. No, he tells us right now. You see, before we were saved, before we accepted what Jesus Christ did on the cross, we could have victory over our sin. Man, we just became enslaved to sin. The first time we chose to sin, when Paul said, then the law came and he became aware of, you know, the law and then he sinned, he died. Boom. From that word on, man, now he's enslaved to sin. We need, he needs a savior, man. Jesus dies for his sin, and Jesus also dies not only for the penalty of sin, but to deliver him from the power of sin. But when we're delivered from the power of sin, just like when you're delivered from the penalty of sin, you, if you fall in sin, man, and get in rebellion toward God, you need to, he that confesses a sin, he's faithful and just forgive us, give us sin and cleanse it from all unrighteousness. Also, if you don't experience the power of sin, you can say, God, I want to look to the cross and what Jesus did, and I want to experience the power over sin and not let the old man reign in me. So it's important to understand that there's no temptation that's taking you. See, there's a big, big difference now. They're set free from Egypt. They don't have to go back to Egypt, amen. They're set free. God's broken the power. The corpses are rising laying all over the water, man. We're free. We're singing the song of Moses. You know, we're, we're our salvation. They're set free. So that's a glorious truth. But they have a choice, though. They can choose to go back. And this is where it gets so heavy. Because... There's no temptation that's taken you or me or any of us. Paul says that's not common to man. You don't think you have a different battle than everybody else. Peter says the trials that you're experiencing are the same that your brothers are experiencing in the world. And you might think you have some weird, you know, strange temptations. I can guarantee you there's millions of people that go through the same thing around the world. Yes, sir. Nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. There's no temptation that's taken you that's not common to man. But God is faithful. Praise God, He's faithful. Amen. He's in your corner. The one with the scars, 
on his hands and his feet and the javelin scar and the probably scars on his brow because he's beaten more than any man. That one, Jesus, he's already given us the victory. Amen. You don't even have to box the devil, man. Because he's taking care of the devil. You have to resist him. Through your faith, you put your trust in Jesus. You resist his temptations and put your, look to Jesus, amen? Oh yeah, you want to beat your body down, so to speak. And not let sin rule in you. But there's no temptation that's taking you that's not common to man, but God is faithful, who with a temptation will also give you a way of escape, an ekbasis. He's, there's a way, oh, there's no way I could avoid sinning there. Wrong, that's a lie. Let God be true and every man a liar. There's always a way of escape. There may not have been a comfortable way you, you could have victory, but he gives a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Sometimes think, well, well, how did he, where did he escape? I had to go through it still. No, the, the trial you have to go through, but you don't have to sit in it. Amen? So it's very important to understand this. And then the very next verse, he says in verse 14, therefore, my beloved, what? Flee from idolatry. Amen? Flee from idolatry. Because they were getting involved, the Corinthians, who had been set free by the grace of Christ. The picture there is salvation. Paul gives himself as an example. Is Paul giving an example of how the non-believer is supposed to overcome? No. <laughs> non-believer beats his body down and he's going to be all right. <laughs> oh, man. You know, that's why he gives a picture of salvation. But Paul, goes, Paul mentions that earlier to them about the guy that's having sex with his father's wife in the church and to kick him out of the church. And then he says, know you not that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Neither fornicators or adulterers and feminine homosexuals, you know, revilers, extortioners, drunkards, thieves, and so forth. They have no inheritance, he says, in the kingdom of Christ. But such were some of you, but you were washed, right? They were, they were justified, they were washed, sanctified. He's made us new. Then he warns them, don't take your body, don't take yourself and join it together with a prostitute. Because they had temple prostitutes all over the place. And that would be a big temptation in Corinth. And don't join the member of, member of Christ with a prostitute. He's not talking non-believers. He's talking about members of Christ. And make Christ the member of a prostitute because the two become what? what? One flesh. Know you not, he says, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God lives in you? Right? Therefore glorify God in your body. He's talking to Christians. You don't tell that to non-believers. Hey, man, I notice that you're, you know, sleeping with a bunch of women. Don't say it's a non-believer at work. When I was in the secular workforce, I'm not saying this. I, I, I work in the church now, so I have to say that. Hopefully I don't have to say that, right? But I'm a more secular workforce. Hey, man, don't you know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit and God lives in you? We say that to non-believers. Don't, don't make the member of Christ a member of a prostitute. You're becoming making. No, that would be. No, he's warning believers. Genuinely, he warns true believers they can fall away, you know. But guess what? You don't have to. And the crazy thing is there's so many millions of professing believers that don't think they could fall. They're not taking heed and they're in a fallen state. And they're abusing grace. And they're saying, hey, Jesus died for me. And they know about him dying for their sins, but they don't know about the victory that they're supposed to have over sin. And they're being entrapped by sin and Satan and the world. And it breaks my heart. And the Bible warns that there'd be a great falling away in the end times. Where are you at, guys? So this is very, very important. Now go back, please, to Romans chapter 6. And let's continue to go through this a bit. And by the way, by the way, for some of you who are thinking, well, man, I've always heard that Romans 7 is Paul's struggle as a believer. I don't have time. We've got in-depth into Romans 7. But I will just say this. Just read the beginning of Romans 7 where Paul says, when he starts with his childhood, when he was alive to God. 
And then he became aware of sin, and sin killed him. And then he fought his flesh against the law, to try to keep the law with his flesh. By the way, are we trying to keep the law in the flesh? No, that's legalism. We don't teach people that are under the law. He's trying to talk about the law of Moses he was trying to keep. And he was defeated. Who will save me from this body of death? Then he gets victory through Jesus. And then go to the end of Romans 6 or 7 so I can make it really clear to you. Romans chapter 7. And in Romans chapter 7, uh, look at verse 23. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a what? A prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So Paul is under the law of sin. That's how we were. We were under the law of sin. And he says, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus, wretched man that I am. Jesus sets him free from the law of sin. Are you saying he's set free from what he's going through in Romans 7? Absolutely. Look at chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Check it out. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He was feeling really condemned earlier, right? For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has what? Set you what? Free from the what? Law of sin and of death. Context. You guys, the victory. And there's great uh, Reformed theologians like Hoeksema. And, and I'm not saying great on every point. I disagree with my Calvinist brethren in areas. But they also, they, they've come over, man. Hoeksema, uh, uh, Douglas Moo, who's one of the top Calvinistic exegetes. I've got his commentary on Romans. And he argues, says, this is Paul in the old life. Before he came to Christ, when you look at the context, right? We've been set free from the law of sin and death. Amen. Now, we can make a choice to go back. But why would you? Why would you want to do that? You, all eternity is before us, amen? You, we have an, we're going for an imperishable wreath, amen? The crown of life. So go back to Romans 6 now. Romans 6. And it's very interesting. Verse, let's go back now, Romans 6, and look at verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was what? Crucified with him. In order that our body of sin might be what? done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. When we talk about Jesus' death on the cross, including right here at Blessed Hope Chapel, why do we almost always emphasize that Jesus died on the cross? Because he did it to what? Pay for our sins. That's what we always talk about. And that should be the emphasis overall. But we also talk about that Christus Victor. He didn't only pay for our sins as a substitutionary, vicarious atonement, but because of his substitution atonement and taking our place and paying for our sins, we got victory over the devil, amen? amen. But we also we need to understand that. There's more to the cross than the forgiveness of sins alone. But it also sets us free from not only the penalty of our sin, but it also sets us free from the bondage of Satan, amen? But it also sets us free, guess what? From the body of death. You need to understand that. That the answer is always in Jesus. The answer is always at the cross. Not just for the penalty of sin, but in regard to the power of sin that wants to overcome your life. You look to Jesus, man. You look to the cross. You say, Jesus, 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 you are my Savior. And you saved me and thank you for, the, for giving me victory and paying for my sins. But thank you also, Father, in Jesus' name. You, he told, Jesus told me, pray that we enter not into temptation, amen? Lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Jesus said, pray that uh, you enter not into temptation. The Spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak, amen? So you have to watch over the flesh. You've got to beat the old man down and say, I'm not going to let sin have power over me because it, there's no reason it should. Jesus died on the cross. You're not meant to be in bondage anymore. Amen? Amen. Are you still with me today? Yes. So knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Christ. In the last message, 
I just gave on Wednesday when I was talking about having a new heart. I talked about this verse briefly, and that's what made me think, I want to go way into this, this whole concept, man, because I just touched on it a little bit. I ta- when I was looking at Romans 6 and how we're, and then Romans 11, look at Romans 11. Uh, Romans 6, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Even so consider, even so consider, count yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, I'm supposed to reckon, King James, count, consider myself dead to sin. And I'm supposed to recognize that the old man's been crucified with Christ. That means I'm supposed to apprehend what Jesus did on the cross and how the old man no longer has power over me. Amen? Amen. I don't have to obey his dictates. I can beat my body down and say, no, I can walk in newness of life. I just need to make sure I just don't go back. Nope, body, nope, I resist that temptation. In the name of Jesus, Father, give me strength, empower me to have victory over sin. I'm not going back to that old life, okay? And I can say, far from perfect guy, but by the grace of the Lord, for 35 years or so since I've been saved, 1981 around I got saved, a long time, by the grace of God, not by my doing at all. I haven't gone back to that old life. I don't want anything to do with that old life. Joe's been dead, thrown out a ditch on the side of the road. Better, he's been crucified with Christ on the cross, the old man. But I wanted to understand this better and I, because I was like, this is such a powerful truth, Lord. Please help me understand it better. I cried out to the Lord. I prayed, not expecting it to happen what happened. It was an earnest prayer because there's such a key to this victory. What does it mean to count that old man dead? What does it mean that, uh, or to crucify that flesh? And literally, guys, and I shared this uh, last Wednesday. I've shared this a couple times before uh, in this fellowship over the last 30 some years I've been pastoring here, is, uh, and it happened probably in the middle of my pastorate, is I had a most vivid dream, and I knew exactly when I woke up what that dream was all about, because I'd been praying, God, please show me. And I wasn't praying for a dream, I was just praying, please help me understand this better. You know, Paul's written some things, Peter said, they're hard to understand. And the commentators are all over the place on this, by the way. And this doesn't mean this was from the Lord, okay? But it was powerful to me, and I thought, I thought it was, but maybe it wasn't. So I'm not saying this is gospel, but I literally have this vivid dream, and my wife is with me, and her mom is next to her on the other side of her, and we're both on different sides of her, and we're looking down at, at her. There's two of her. And her, she's there, and she's laying down, and she's comatose, but she's breathing. And what was so weird is we could just wake her up. But she's right next to me too. But when I looked at her, I go, ooh, that's the old Lisa. Man, she smelled like beer. No, that wasn't true. (laughs) But it was the old Lisa. I knew in my dream, that's the old Lisa, and it's bad. She was evil, just lost, fallen, you know, just going the wrong way. And I'm looking, I'm like, whoa, man, it was like hideous. And she didn't look hideous. It wasn't like she looked real ugly and everything, which would have made it more vivid, but that wasn't what I saw. It was just Lisa laying there, but she was dead. And and it was not right that she come back to life because she's right next to me. This was a new Lisa who loved Jesus, who's on fire for the Lord. And back in those days, this was before her mom professed Christ as her Savior. Her mom has passed since. So this is, you know, B.C. for her mom. And her mom wanted to bring her back to life, wake her up. And it was crazy because, keep in mind, I knew that Lisa's mom wanted, lived kind of vicariously through Lisa in her party life. At least you want to know how how it was going out partying and she'd go to these parties and get drunk and everything. And she was take, they'd go to now meetings together, you know, the liberal, you know, feminist things. And she just had that way <laughs> rebellious to God's word life. And she wanted to wake her up. And I'm like, no, don't wake her up. You know, I want that back. I don't want that went back, man. When I met her, she was in the AA. She was in NA. She was in CA. And all these, you know, trying to, you know, 
And I said, you just need the one-step program, man. You need Jesus, man. And she was a new creation, man. She was loving the Lord. And I did not want to see that old person. And I woke up. Wow. And whether that was specifically from the Lord, okay, I'm not going to say, thus saith the Lord, this is how, because you get your truth from God's word, amen? Like sometimes God can bring clarification. And for me, there was a lot of clarification there. I was like, wow, that old man is dead right there, but it's still what? It still can, it still can come back up. It's paralyzed. And you know what was a trip, guys? When I studied Romans 6 and I started looking at the Greek words and studied it more in depth, that Greek word destroyed or crucify the flesh right there is a Greek word, katargeo. K-A-R-T-A-G-E-O. Kartageo in the Greek. And you know what it means? To be deactivated. Doesn't mean to be annihilated. It means to be paralyzed or deactivated. In fact, listen to uh, the Greek uh, lexicons. To render idle, unemployed, inactive, inoperative. To cease a person or thing. To have no further efficiency. To deprive or force, influence, power. It means, you guys, to terminate. All intercourse with one means to be powerless. In fact, it's interesting. That word is used in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, of what Jesus did to the devil. Does the devil have power over us as believers? Yes or no? No. No. But can he still have power over us? Yes. Listen to this. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless, kartageo, powerless, him who had power over death, that is the devil. Satan can only have the power in your life that you give him. The old man can only have the power in your life that you give him. Amen? Amen. In Romans 7, there in this tug of war, power has no victory. Now he's been set free from the power, from the sin of law, or from the law of sin and death. Amen? Amen. We're set free. Now it's, praise God. I, that crystallized my mind. It's like, wow. Because I was going to teach on that pretty soon. I wanted to understand that better. I don't like to teach anything I don't understand. <laughs> it's dangerous, right? So I'm like, well, I'm not going to teach this. I don't understand it. And then guess what? I know I, I don't want anything to do with my old life, man. I was a stoner. I was a drunkard. I was a blasphemer. I was a, 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 a brawler. I was all these bad things, man. That was the old Joe. And now I've become new in Christ. And I'm very thankful for that. And we ought to all be thankful for the new people that we are in Christ. He set us free. And what was interesting is what I started to find, listen to what the commentators got it. He's one of the most respected commentators, been dead for years now on Romans though. He states that this old man has been crucified so far as the believer is concerned. In the very person of Christ crucified, the apostle does not say that he has been killed. He may still exist, but like one crucified whose activity is paralyzed, not an immediate death, certainly, but the reduction of it to powerlessness. Wow. Look at, uh, this is uh, Gavit, not Gavit, another man by the name of Gavit in his book, Sanctification, a perfect here below, question mark. He says, his old nature is not dead while he is yet alive in the body, but it is to be on the tree of the curse, powerless, declining in force day by day till actually dead. Then, uh, see then, in Jesus crucified, the present place of enforced inactivity and the future doom of the old man, of the justified. This is done. He's one of the most respected uh, exegetes on the book of Romans. Listen to what he says. Does Paul then turn his back on the idea of the believer's identification with Christ in his idea that, uh, of this as a lifelong process? Does he mean his readers to, to understand that uh, their attachment to the present world has already been completely ended? that they have been crucified, destroyed, 
and have died? And does he therefore mean that the believer as such is in fact free from sin and uh, is so sinless? Because some would teach that, okay? One answer might be that he did not intend the two verses to be read quite so abruptly. The nail some, so listen to this, the nail someone, to nail someone to the cross was not to kill him, uh, but to subject him to suffering, which, ev- with, which inevitably resulted in death after some hours or even days. The verb translated might be done away with or destroyed or crucified. Cardigeo, he says, this is really interesting, could be rendered, might be made ineffective, powerless, or be taken to describe the end result of the crucifixion. In the believer's case, this, end, uh, would, uh, this at the end of his early life. So guess what? That old man is on the cross. He's, he, was, he was crucified with Christ, amen? But we can't let him back up again. And we won't be totally set free till we are free from, we're not set free from Satan's temptations yet either, right? But we're still set, but you know what? Satan whispers, he said, let that old man up, man. Let that old Lisa up. No, I like the new Lisa. Let the old Joe up. No, I want to be the new Joe. I want that imperishable wreath. My Savior loves me. He died for me. How could I do such a thing to him? And go back to that old man. Amen. I'm skipping stuff now, man. But I'll tell you what. Listen to this. We get our, we need to have an appreciation of verse 6. We need to appreciate what he's done, knowing this. Amen. That our old man was crucified with Christ. We need to recognize we don't have to be under his power anymore. Or amen. But then we also need to appropriate his victory. That's in verse 11. Look at chapter 6, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves, even so, consider yourselves to be what? Dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Once I know, okay, once I know that my old man was broken, he not only paid the penalty for my sins on the cross, but he broke the power of sin in his body, amen? Once I know that, then guess what? I can consider myself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus because he rose from the dead. So the word consider, by the way, is the same Greek word that Paul uses in Romans 4 for Abraham when his faith was what? Counted as righteousness. Lagizomai. It's the word, it's a mathematical term in Greek. Do the math. Do the math. He didn't only pay for your sin, but he broke the power of the old nature over you. And now, therefore, because of that, you can consider, you can do the math. Do the math for yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, so we need to appreciate and we need to appropriate, praise God, what you've done for me, Jesus. Then we need to apply it to our lives. Verse 12. How do you apply it? Therefore, do not what? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Oh, it can be woken up. Don't let it happen, amen. Beat your body down and say, no, I'm not going back to that old life. You know people that have gone back to the old life and it just brings death. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present what? But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master. Okay, the word master in verse 9. Christ is no longer mastered by death, it says. And we're not allowed sin to master us. It comes from the Greek word, the Greek word there from kurios, Lord. Jesus is now our Lord, amen. For sin shall not be, verse 14, for sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace then. Amen? What then? Shall we sin, verse 15, because we're not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Now he brings up what he brought up in the very beginning. Say, this is why. You're set free from sin. Don't go back. 
In fact, how could you, he says in Romans 12, he says, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God, amen, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices to God because he gave himself by his mercies, the first 11 chapters. He paid an incredible price to save you and he, he went through all that to save you. He didn't have to go through it. Why would you go back and spit on his blood and go back to the world and live for Satan and live for the world and live for the flesh? It's evil. Don't do it. Amen? Amen. Think of what he did for you. Oh, I'm skipping a lot. But I'll just give you a few illustrations to end. By the way, I read some time ago about a man, true story, in Texas. He, he wanted a midnight snack, starts strolling down to get his midnight snack. And he notices the bassinet on his way downstairs is tipped over and his baby's gone. Baby, I think, was just a couple months old. And uh, he panicked and he rushes and he goes to look and he finds his python, a 12-foot python, with a big lump in its stomach. Okay? And he hacked that thing up. Yeah, it was too late, though. Guy ended up in a mental hospital. Crazy stuff. That's what, we don't wait until something evil happens until it's crucified the flesh, amen? We reckon him dead and we don't let him, we don't make the flesh our pet, amen? Because the flesh is very destructive. Remember, the, um, the, uh, remember what happened with King Saul? Hey, great victory, man. But then, man, guess what? He wanted a trophy. He was supposed to put King Agag to death, the king of the Amalekites. And he kept him alive. And he, and he had him on a chain. He said, look at my trophy. And the Lord said, I desire obedience more than sacrifice. Amen. And Saul ended up losing. He, because of that, he ceased being king. And Samuel, the prophet, hacked Agag up. We need to hack up the old man. Recognize he's already been crucified in Christ. We need to say, I'm going to consider him dead. I'm going to beat my old man down so he doesn't take over. Amen. One last story, which I think really illustrates this, is you had in the book of Judges, you have uh, Jabin, who's the leader of many of the Canaanites, and he has a regional leader under him, Sisera, who leads a whole region. And God rises up Deborah to deliver the Jews, the Hebrews, from uh, enslavement to th that old master, the old man, Sisera. And they're set free through Deborah's uh, work because uh, it's a long story. But anyway, I'm going to cut right to the chase. Sisera escapes. He runs for his life. That's the old man who they used to be enslaved to. And guess what? He's running, and he sees in the Israeli encampment, he sees a gal by the name of Jael. And she was, naming, she was married to Heber. John Heber's great, 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 great. No, no, no. Probably no relation, okay? But Heber, man, connect to Heber or Eber, Eber means to cross over. This, he was a Kenite who crossed over to the Israeli side. Said, I, you know, that's a picture of us. We cross over, amen? And they've crossed over. The Hebrews crossed over the Red Sea, amen? It's a picture of salvation. It's a powerful, powerful type. And guess what happens? He sees her and he's like, maybe she's going to help. JL, you can help me. Hey, help me, man. Lie. Say you haven't seen me. Put me in the tent. He goes in the tent. He says, give me some water. He's dying of thirst. Can you imagine? He's running for his life. He's so thirsty. His mouth is cotton mouth parched. And he wants some water. But guess what she does? She gives him some milk. And it wasn't the milk that you drink that's all pasteurized. It's curdled and everything else. And what happens when you drink a lot of milk and you're really, really tired? You, what do you give a baby when you want to put him to sleep? She puts him to sleep. And she covers him up because he wants to be hidden. And then she goes back in the tent a little later, finds him asleep. And guess what? She takes a tent peg, bam, and drives it through the temple of his head and kills him. 
That's brutal. Yeah, the Bible's a brutal book, man. It's about truth, right? And guess what? Guess what? He's asleep. My wife was asleep. The Greek word, kardageo, refers to just being powerless, deactivated, right? Paralyzed. Our old man was paralyzed, crucified with Christ, amen? Just like we have to appropriate what Jesus did on the cross with, for us through faith by putting our trust in him and we receive forgiveness, amen? Guess what? We look to the cross. We recognize our old man is dead, but guess what? We're also called to what? We're called to consider or reckon the old man dead. So we're supposed to make the decision, yes, I want him dead. And when you say, yes, I want him dead, I'm going to beat my body, I'm not going to let him rise up, you're driving a stake through the temple, amen? Of his head saying no. Jesus already did that for us, amen? But you're saying, I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. And I say, yes, that's my victory. And I agree with that stake being shoved through my old man's head. He's not getting up, amen? Are you with me? Yes. So I want to encourage you, when you look to the cross, look to what Jesus did for you. And accept what he did for you. And praise God for what he did for you, amen? And I read the last verses of chapter 6. Pick it up at verse 15. What, uh, verse 16, where we stopped. Do you not know then, when you present yourself to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that, that though uh, you were slaves to sin, past tense, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Verse 18. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. We're slaves, guys. You're a slave to Satan or you're a slave to righteousness. I choose to be a slave to Christ. Verse 19. But I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? We didn't get a lot of benefits, for, did we? For the outcome of those things is what? Death. Verse 22. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hey, brothers and sisters, I hope you're trusting Jesus for your salvation and, and what he did on the cross to pay for your sins. And that's glorious. You need to do that. But I also hope you recognize that he didn't just die to forgive your sins, but to give you victory over the world the flesh, and the devil. And you need to look to the cross and say, man, I have forgiveness there. That's the most glorious thing. But I also have power to live a righteous life by the power of what? The power of the cross. The power of his word. What did she give him to drink? What did, what did Jael give Sisera to drink? Milk. milk. The Bible says, desire the pure milk of the what? Word. How do you keep that old man down? You drink, you drink milk, man. The milk of God's word. That'll keep him down. Amen. You, you, you walk in the power of the Spirit, Romans 8. What's the answer to Romans 7, that struggle when we're defeated? Romans 6 and Romans 8. The book ends. People, Romans 7, I'm in Romans 7. No, you should be Romans 6 or 8. You're in trouble in Romans 7. Romans 8, 12 and 13. Brother, are not debtors to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify or crucify the deeds of the flesh, there's, that's where we come in with that nail too. If you, by the Spirit, but it's the Spirit of God doing that through us, mortify the deeds of the flesh, you shall live. Amen? 
Praise God. Let's pass out the cup and let's pass out the bread. Can we all rise? We have victory in Jesus. Amen. Victory over that old man. Praise God. Yes, he is worthy. Glory to God. Amen.